Today we light the pink candle, which is uh, the candle that signifies joy. Uh, last week we lit the second purple candle, which signified faith. They're both, they're both related. And I'd like to um, invite you to read with me Luke chapter 1, the passage that we've been looking at. And we will look at the... Um, the message that Gabriel brings to Zacharias. Okay. Verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Uh, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John, and you will have joy. And you will have joy. Today we are thinking about this joy and the promise, the, one of the earliest promises in Christmas is the fact that you will have joy. Yeah? Just say it to yourself. Okay? Quietly or loudly, whatever. Say it to yourself. You will have joy. God was speaking to a man who was not very joyful actually. Time has running out for him to have a child. He and Elizabeth would pass. Actually, it had run out actually. Time had run out for them to have a child and there were their prayers apparently were not answered after many years of praying uh, they did not have a child and so the angel is saying you will have joy and if you have been a person who, for whom uh, joy doesn't come easily this could be either something that you just dismiss or consider that your experience does not bear that out or it could mean a lot to you. The thing about it is that all of us have been spending Christmas for many years. I don't see anybody who is in this room who hasn't had Christmas many, many times. How's it been for you? How has Christmas been for you? I've heard a lot since coming to BCF or since, since, since we've been in church of people saying that Christmas is one of the most painful times in their life. Christmas, Thanksgiving, sometimes the most uh, joyful occasions are actually occasions of tremendous sorrow or regret or even bitterness, loneliness, um, a reminder that they don't have enough money, triggering, people pressing their buttons, the sense of not having achieved anything. The sense that life has passed by and uh, not very joyful and not very joyful. How has it been for you? And the Lord was speaking to Jack, um, Zechariah through the angel and he said, you will have joy. The Lord was not saying you must be joyful. He's saying Something that Zacharias 
could not really effect for himself. He says, you will have joy. That's a very audacious statement for God to make. If I were Zechariah, I would think, who do you think you are? My lived experience has been one in which there is not that much joy. And you are saying, I will have joy. But it's a promise of God, and it's a promise that can actually um, bear fruit. You will have joy. Now, it's really interesting that as we look at joy, there are three, perhaps three um, dominant words that sound like joy. Okay? Uh, one of them is joy. One of them is gladness. Another one is happiness. Let's have a look at um, what uh, the angel continues to say. You will have joy and gladness. Joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a foreigner runner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You will notice that joy and gladness are not just emotions. The joy that um, Zacharias is supposed to have is connected with something really solid. It is sometimes the, the fact that we can, you know, as Christians, we're very, very good at as distinguishing joy and happiness, right? I'm sure you've, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard someone really spiritual tell you that joy is not happiness. Happiness is based upon happenstance. Hap, on hap, right? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is based upon happenings, on circumstances. That's really true. So there's happiness. As Christians, we sometimes come to a point where we are so wanting to be so not happy, but joyful. And the tendency is for us, as a result of, of that, to actually go to the other extreme to say that joy is not based upon anything. Joy is like nothing good may be happening. You may be in the pits, but you will have joy. This ebullient joy that's in there, based upon no circumstance. But uh, when the angel is talking to Zacharias, he's not talking about that. He's talking about joy that is rooted in something great happening. It is a feeling that has objectivity to it. It's not just a subjective feeling of joy that is not in, that, not, that is not rooted in anything external or anything that is happening from God. Actually, joy, he said, is that you will have joy and gladness. Now, joy is the appropriate response of the soul that has been transformed because God did something. God puts that in there. God is doing something. Okay? It, looks, it looks like based upon what we just read, what the angel was saying, joy has something more solid to it. Right? You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Yeah. His birth? Birth? I'm too old. I've got. I'm past the time. No, actually, you're going to have birth. So joy was based upon something of a miracle that God was going to do. 
Joy was not something that was expected of Zechariah based upon the fact that he has to be, you know, self-satisfied with his lot and, uh, and be, you know, having a good attitude and be a good sport about all the things that have not taken place in his life. No, he was saying you'll have joy and gladness. Joy and gladness. Gladness is something that has, has to do with uh, our response to something really significant that has taken place. Something that really was important to us and I'm glad that it happened. Okay, we, 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 we use the word gladness not for something trivial. Trivial. I mean, nowadays we use big words for trivial things all the time anyway in, in our, in our language, linguistic habit. But actually gladness has to do with something significant t- taking place. So when joy, when the angel says, you have joy and gladness because something is going to happen. The joy is not just based upon happenstance. It is not just based upon a a feeling, but it's based upon something that God does. And it's solid. May I suggest to you that joy is an objective feeling. It has an object. It has a thing. It has a thing happening. It may be in the process of happening. It may be invisible, but it is happening nevertheless. The person who has joy caught an insight to what is happening that is invisible perhaps. Yeah. And you will have joy. Wow, isn't that great? You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice in His birth. What's the objective thing? His birth. But not only just His birth, but the fact that this person who's going to be born is going to be somebody quite special, quite significant. And I want to put it, put it to you that as we, 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 we look at the, the pink candle and we celebrate the fact that that uh, the, the coming of the Lord involves a certain joy, that we will have joy, not that we should, should be joyful out of our own poverty or of our own uh, emptiness inside, so that we have a kind of a good, joyful attitude, uh, attitude, but because of the fact that there is something back of it, there is something solid that is about to take place. Or that is a foot. If Christmas does not have that solid thing, then Christmas becomes the generate the the, 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 the frantic generation generating of joyful or happy things, usually by the expense of great amounts of dollars to stir that up. And Christmas is actually a waste of money and a waste of time, because. As somebody who spent Christmas with us said some years ago, after all the presents we opened, and she was very happy, half an hour later, she says, I feel depressed. It is really not that worth it. And actually, when you see the way in which the world is frantically, desperately trying to stir up sales or happiness and, and all those deep and warm words that you see that in commerce now. Um, and there's nothing underneath it, nothing solid, and there's no promise. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling, and uh, I may be wrong, that all that is waning. I've noticed how underwhelming the Christmas bling is this year. I don't know. That's just my own, my own opinion. 
But the point is this. When we celebrate Christmas, the Advent is, is based upon the fact that something of promise that God is effecting is coming our way. If you don't have a sense of that, you don't actually have joy. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a condemnation. It is just a promise that God has something for you. And perhaps today as we talk about it, we will see it. Amen? And we will have joy. But think about it. You will have joy. It's categorical promise, right? Categorical promise that has come through the ages right up to now. And it's good. You can take it to the bank here. How? Well, let's have a look at this. David, and of course, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day which, when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will, not be fu- which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And we see, the, see here our own response that could be actually in, 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 in Zacharias. And that basically, it is the fact that even though joy is an objective thing, it's a real thing, it's a real solid thing, it is possible for us to not be equipped to have or receive this joy. There, are some th- there were some things in Zechariah that made him not be able to respond in an appropriate, joyful way. Something was blocking him. And today we will, in our sermon, hopefully be able to talk a little bit about how God can set us free from anything that causes us to be joyless. Joyless. Even though the, 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 the cause for every reason for joy could be right there. But sometimes there's something in our plumbing or our wiring that can actually cause us to experience no joy even though joy is right there at the door as an objective, real thing. And so we'd like to look at this because um, part of Advent is to actually allow the preparation of heart to take place so that when Jesus' coming is celebrated, there's no blockage to this happening. Advent is basically to do that. And wiser men than us have, or maybe men and women, have actually advised that the third week, the third Sunday, will be the time to celebrate joy. You ready to do that? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have made every provision for us to be joyful or to receive this joy. That every price that has needed to be paid and every drop of blood that was needed to be shed for it has already been given. That that simple phrase, you will have joy, can be ours, notwithstanding all the things that we are going through or have gone through or that block us from experiencing joyfulness. So we ask you that you speak to us Speak to us, Lord. Speak to the places in our heart that need you to just free up 
and touch and heal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I do believe that there are um, places in our heart that cause our soul not to be able to experience the feeling of joy, the reception of joy. Um, we saw this with Zechariah. There's something about our hearts that, are, that mistake God for one of the Greek gods, you know. Um, many of you know the story of the Trojan, Trojan Wars, right? Anybody gone to USC? Oh, yeah. So those of you who... Well, I'm going to talk about the enemy actually right now. King Agamemnon had set all his, his minor kings together with him to go and attack Trojan, uh, Troy. Sorry, Troy. I was almost thinking to attack the Trojans as if he's going to USC, you know. Uh, he was getting ready. And then he couldn't move. Yeah, many of you know the story. He couldn't move. His ships couldn't sail. He couldn't get the wind. And the oracle said, the reason why is because the goddess Artemis is not happy. He's not happy with you because, and many versions of the, of the, of the myths will say, for example, he, he had actually killed one of the sacred stags uh, in the field or because of the fa- some have more arcane kind of reasons because Artemis knows that he, she's gonna, he's going to do some terrible damage and ter- terrible uh, murder to a lot of people. Wh- whatever it is, Artemis said, you cannot go. The only way in which you could go is to sacrifice your, your beloved daughter, Ephigenia. And that was the nature of the gods. And so in order for Agamemnon to actually move his fleet with all the rest of Odysseus and all the other kings um, against Troy was to take Ephigenia. And the story is so full of pathos when he takes Ephigenia, who he loves greatly, his wife, uh, the queen Clytemestra, actually kills him for, for that when he comes back from the Trojan Wars, actually. But actually, he, as, 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 you, as you read the story, you read the myth, they take it up. He, t- he takes her up to the, to the, to the altar and, and sacrifices her. And his heart is completely broken. And I think that is a picture of how we see the gods. We see the gods. We see the fate. We see life. We see destiny and predestination. And we see the Father Sometimes in that way. Don't you think? We think that, just like the, pers- the, 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 the servant with the one talent, that God reaps where he does not sow. And perhaps your life has borne that out. There was another person who was more from the Old Testament, was an Old Testament in the book of Judges, and his name was Jephthah. And he had the same kind of idea that was deep in his soul. Jephthah had been rejected by the nation of Israel. He had been an outcast. But when Israel began to be oppressed by the enemies around, they called him back because he was a warrior. And he was about to be appointed to lead 
armies of Israel against their oppressors. But Jephthah did not have a good picture of God and what he did was that he promised God that if God would give him victory, the first person or first thing that comes to greet him when he comes back from battle, he would sacrifice to God. God gave him victory. And when he came back from battle, full of joy and full of the celebration, the first one that came out to him was his daughter. Just like Aphrodite. I think, if Young uh, is correct, that we have that in our psyche. Deep parts of us that have serious ambivalence about God. And deep in our, it resonates with us when we feel that God requires a slaughter, a sacrifice, a death. We can sometimes read the New Testament that way too. We can read the cross, read into the cross that, that brokenness as well. And I will put it to you that actually a lot of times we can't, can't receive the word of God and the joy of the Lord or the, the objective good that He's actually about to do for us because we have spent a lifetime putting up defenses and ways in which we can protect, protect ourselves from serious um, disappointment. I think we have this way in which we tighten up before any kind of uncertainty. We tighten up, just like we're going to get your third shot or whatever it is, or fourth or fifth. And you tighten up. I remember when I got my first shot, and we, I put my, my hand, my, my arm out of the car, and I was like, okay, you can go now. What do you mean? I didn't even feel it. And uh, I realized that there's a little bit of that in me as well. How about you guys? There are blocks to joy, but there are things that we can do that can cause our soul not to be able to receive the joy of the Lord uh, well. well. How many of you have experienced times in which in the most uh, glad season you've experienced something tragic or something worrying or something horrible. How do you, have, have you experienced that? That's sometimes the worst, right? If we're going to have bad news, please let it not be on my birthday. Or, you know, if the, we're going to have a kind of a, 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 a calamity, please let it not be on Christmas Day. Well, this year, <laughs> I received news that I had cancer just the, a few, one or two days or three days before my birthday. My birthday is celebrated by Elisa and me too. And so we were going to do these fun things from morning to evening. And I was thinking, I've got prostate cancer. How many more of these do I have left? I mean, birthdays. So I understand the feeling. We do a lot to actually make sure that we don't coincide bad things with good days or good seasons. Don't you like bad birthdays or graduation? I remember when I first got my, the news of having prostate cancer, 
we had some really joyful things going on. Eliza was going to go to dental school. Kaylin was going to medical school. They are having their white coat ceremony. And we have birthdays coming up. It was pretty amazing. And I found that on the day of my birthday, we had a, a long day of things that we, we, we did. We went out to LA. We came back. We went to, had a movie. We saw the Marvel movie. Was it the Marvel movie? Yeah, Marvel movie. See, I can't even remember what movie we saw. Oh, dear, dear, dear. And I remember during the movie, I began, it began to dawn on me more and more what the implications of having cancer were for myself. And slowly the movie just began to fade out of my consciousness. And I realized that I was experiencing some anxiety. And as we were celebrating, and now we were in the movie theater, I just needed to get out of that theater and go to the restroom or some place in which I hear from, I heard from God. I needed God to come and touch me. I needed God's word to come and tell me what's going on. So I left the, the, the movie theater and went to the restroom. And as I went to the restroom, I cried out to the Lord and I asked the Lord, um, what, is, what is ahead? What is ahead? Can you give me a word? See, what had happened was that um, I had found from seeing my urologist that the, my prostate had cancer, but there's a thing called an, a capsule around the, the prostate. And as long as you can keep the cancer within the capsule, you'll be pretty fine. What uh, someone had just told me was that I should look out for the most critical part as far as the prostate is concerned, that there'd be no extra capsulary extension. That means no ways in which it was jutting out. And I had just found out that as they did the M MRI, there was kind of a slight bump. Slight bump. And uh, it was my daughter who told me that, just watch out for that. I definitely did not tell her that that was what's, what was happening. And so I went into the, 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 the restroom with all these things. And the question was, somehow in all my not knowing, my delay, my not really taking care of my PSA levels, is it too late? Or did God do something to somehow protect me? Prayed, and as I worshipped the Lord and prayed, prayed in the Spirit, a word came. Psalm, Psalm 13. I read through it, and there was one part that said, Return unto your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully, bountifully with you. It was in the past tense. 
The question was not whether God will. I was, the question that was in my mind was, am I okay? <laughs> I'm just talking about myself. yeah. And the Lord gave me this word, return unto your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully. And for some reason, I felt peace come. Not an overwhelming peace, but just a sense that if I just clipped that and, and, and looked at it carefully, peace will, part, will come into my heart. And in the midst of, you know, that our urologist was not a very happy guy. I had never seen him smile once. Had never seen him smile once. But at that time, I could still remember what he was how he looked when he, when, he, when he talked to us about it. And, but at that moment, with my phone, my Bible thing, came to me, return unto your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully, bountifully past ten. My question is, is it too late? Was it too, is it too late? Subsequently, I found out that it was just in time. It was just in time. The Lord had somehow protected me uh, in this situation. And what I want to do, though, is to actually talk about something that joy is. Joy is an insight into something that has been taking place from God's side with regards to me. Joy is an insight into what the Lord is doing in your life and what's coming your way. Joy is when God prepares our heart so that in the light of that, that objective reality, our hearts can be tuned to, ready for that and not fobbing it off not doing the Jephthah thing, not doing, doing the Agamemnon thing. Joy is a way in which we respond to something that great that God is going to be doing and He has already begun to do. And joy comes when the Holy Spirit, because joy is a, is a charism, it comes from God, it's a grace from God. And the Holy Spirit impinges it upon you. He just says, it's coming. When that happens, no matter what your circumstances, happy or sad, no matter what happens, joy is that ability for our heart, our spirit, to be able to catch it and dwell in it and live in it. Does that make sense? When we celebrate Advent, that is exactly what we're doing. We're saying Jesus has come. And even though he came 2,000 years ago, and many, many years have passed since then, there is a way in which he's coming presently to us as well. And you and I can ask, what, God, are you doing this Christmas? For us as a church, for us as individuals, for our families, for the nation, what are you doing? Joy is like going up to the watchtower and looking out for the first sign of God coming. Joy is when you see the first sign of God coming. 
Zechariah got a peek into what God is doing in the midst of his lived experience in which he was barren. And as he looked out, to, out there, the angel came to him and said, you will have joy because of the birth of your son. Now, Zechariah did not have joy because he didn't receive it. Right? He didn't receive it. I'd like us to talk a little bit about some of the ways in which we can actually prevent this from happening and how we can actually um, um, receive it. Yeah? Sometimes we are people who actually, in order for us to, be, to cope with disappointment, I don't know whether you're like this, you are a person who says no more than, more than most people. People will try to encourage you. And what you will try to do is to give the bottom line of things. No, 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 no. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be good. I think he likes you. No. I think he hates me. I think he likes you. Look at all the signs. And you just can't see it. You just can't see that he likes you. Just can't. In fact, you refuse to see it because you don't want to be disappointed. There are some people, they do an exam and they say, I did terribly. They hope that by saying that they did terribly, they will somehow do well. Have you seen that slightly perverse logic? Yeah? I know some people that, like that. There. How did they do? How, did, how was the exam? Terrible. In fact, if you give them a chance, they will say, it's horrible, it's catastrophic, it is calamitous. Hoping that when you bounce the ball hard enough on the ground, it'll bounce higher. True? We, I think some, most of us have a little bit of that. Some people have it in, in more than their, 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 their fair share of it. But there are ways in which we can actually block by, by increasing our no block the, the, the entrance of a yes from God that's coming in. There's ways in which we can actually do that. Some of us are that way. We plan on things going wrong or, going, or not growing into something that is wonderful so that we will not be disappointed. And we hope that something good will happen even though we have done everything we can to prevent that thing from happening. So we're going at cross-purposes to our own desire, actually. And when that happens, the kind of speech that we speak becomes very negative, very, very, very puddle-glum. You know puddle-glum, right? In, yeah? Like little puddle-glum, like Eeyore. Is it Eeyore? The depressed one? Yeah, I like puddle-glum better. Puddle-glum. Have you seen these people? They're just not optimistic. They're, they're, they're pessimists. But it's, part, it's partly a, a defense mechanism. It's, it's a pessimism that covers and protects us from serious disappointment. And Zechariah had been disappointment, uh, disappointed. Uh, if you can turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, I think God speaks to this. Speaking to Israel, who has experienced uh, much calamity and barrenness. And the first thing that God says in, to the nation of Israel is this. Shout for joy, O barren one, who has born, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting. I like uh, the, an, another translation which says, break forth into joyful singing. I think, it's, is it the ESV or some other translation? 
break forth into joyful sinning, singing, sorry, not sinning, singing, and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons see that as always an objective reality to be joyful about. For the sons of the desolate one will be more mar- numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. So what, what uh, the prophet is saying, what God is saying through the prophet is this. What you need to do is to, you have to break forth. You have to break forth into joy. You have to break forth into singing. And I began to realize that actually what Isaiah is saying is that there is a thin line between the desolation that you feel and the joyful singing that you can actually have. I'm assuming that the joyful singing has to do with not just singing songs, but it has to do with the reality in which your, so- your life becomes the song of singing, a uh, life of singing of enjoy. An actual reality, not just a song, but it's an actual, actual reality, the reality of uh, fruitfulness, the re- re- reality of redemption, of, re- of being received by God. I would put it to you that what Isaiah is saying is this. When he says, break forth, he's saying it to the desolate one, you know. I don't know how long it takes to, for us to be, to, be, to be moving from desolation to, actually, to, to joyful fruitfulness. But he's saying, it's all in a prayer. I want you to break forth, I want to burst forth or break forth. That means there is a resistance. I want you to pray against the resistance so that you will know that when you do that, you will break forth into a new dimension, a dimension of joyful singing. Not just singing, but a joy of joy, of a whole different existence. And so what Isaiah 54 is saying is that there's a thin line between two opposite existences. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing because what it's saying is this. Just by praying a certain kind of prayer in which you militate against everything in you that is resisting joy, resisting yes, resisting good, resisting um, uh, um, disappointment as well as uh, uh, jubilation. You have to pray and you have to pray against those enemies that you have within yourself that keep you encapsulated within a certain desolate, desolate um, mood. What Paul, God is saying is that the difference between these two things is just one prayer. Well, maybe more than one prayer, but a, a kind of a, 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 a cluster of, of actions of prayer that militate against the resistance. Militate against everything inside us that humanly says, no, God is not going to do it. I'm going to be disappointed. It's not going to be, my life is going to be the same as always before. Christmas is going to be the same as last year. What God is saying in Isaiah 54 is this. There is something really powerful there. That God in the invisible realm is already on His way. He is adventing to us. He's adventing to us. And how we have to do is, what we have to do is not try to make it happen, but to recognize that something is taking place and God is on the way. And get our heart ready. Get our heart ready because... Something is happening. But you can't see it now because it's in the invisible realm. It's in the invisible realm. So it's hard. The, 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 the prophet is saying, Sing, O barren one. What? I'm barren. What is that to sing about? Sing, O barren one. Can you, can you see how ridiculous it sounds? Can you see that all the, all the, all the, 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 the annals of reasonableness inside us militate against doing something as 
dumb and 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 optimistic and uh, and uh, and bright-eyed as that. Can you see that that how that everything inside us tells us that this is absolute absolute poppycock? And God says, "Sing." Not because you are trying to induce something good to happen. Not trying to because you're trying to psych yourself up. Because something, but because of something objective of His promise is coming. You try it and see whether it doesn't happen. Then you can come back to me and tell me you are wrong. But I have never found in the 64 years of my life that God lets me down. I never found that miracles never happen. That's my experience. And it bears out with the Word of God. What God is saying is this. There is everything, every reason for you to feel forsaken. It says you've been forsaken. You've experienced the flood. You've experienced rejection. Fear not. You will not be put to shame. Verse 4. Because you have experienced shame. And then God preempts all the reasons why the nation of Israel is saying, we can't do that. He says, um, fear not. Verse 4. You will not be put to shame. You will not be humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Verse verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says the Lord. You see, what God does is that God is able to fathom the depth of our despair. He can fathom the depth of our loss and the depth of our sorrow and our sadness. He can fathom it. You go out into the deep and you find that God fathoms it. Fathoms it. He gets underneath it. He can go underneath it. He has suffered enough, an infinite amount, in order for Him to minister to you the fathomless sorrow. Out of that, sorry, not minister to the the, the fathomless sorrow. Out of that fathomless sorrow. The place where God comforts us in all our infirmity and and in our in our desolation, with the comfort that He gives to us, causing us to be able to comfort others. He can go there. And so Isaiah 54 is so, it's, it's disturbing for those of us who can't get around this. Is God just, just practicing hyperbole or what? what? What is He doing? He's saying, actually, unlike what you think, I know the depths of your rejection. And I know in you that you do not want to be ashamed one more time anymore. You have been shamed and shamed and shamed and shamed. And I know the depths of it because I fathom it. I went there. And because of that, I'm telling you, sing. Because there is, you will have joy. But he says, you've got to be doing this in such a radical way that in spite of the fact that you are barren, you have not, you're not, you have not travailed with child. You have to do that. And you have to decide what you wanna, how your life is going to be. You can either decide that you will just, just uh, kind of withdraw and, 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 count your, uh, and, and kind of save your losses and, 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 and count whatever you have and, and secure that. Or you, have, you can experience joy. And I think that Christmas is one of the most courageous times for all of us to actually respond to God in this way. And so what God is saying is, receive. 
my word. It may just be a little particle. But uh, that joy, little particle of joy, is uh, an insight into what God is doing. Um, Thomas Becke was the Archbishop of Canterbury when King Henry II was king, around 1100. And uh, Henry was wanting to actually take away property from the church, right, the Church of England. And uh, Thomas Becke understood the changing times and he stood up to Henry, stood up to Henry. And as a result of that, he became a martyr because um, Henry sent his henchmen to him and, and killed him. So T.S. Eliot uh, wrote uh, Murder in the Cathedral, I'm sure some of you know. And in that, he has Thomas Becke saying, after being persuaded, after you know, his friends tried to persuade him not to um, come against Henry II, Thomas Becke's re- response, and this is not Thomas Becke's words, this is actually T.S. Eliot's uh, words put into Thomas Becke's um, mouth. For I have heard a tremor of bliss, a wink of heaven, a whisper, and I would no longer be denied. All things proceed to a joyful consummation. What, what uh, uh, Thomas Becke was saying in, in um, Eliot's words was that he has seen a particle, a wink from heaven, a whisper, a tremor of bliss. Sometimes the joy comes in this way. Sometimes it comes um, as a scripture, as a word that God gives to us, an impression that God gives to us. The people who move ahead of the sticky mass of people who are just trying to cope with their own insecurities and their own disappointments are those who can just push out a little bit ahead on the basis of the fact that God, even before you know He's speaking to you, is a good God. And that in Christ, every reason for you to be punished has been broken and has been abrogated because of His death on the cross. And because of the fact that God is so much a loving God that He does not see our sin or our unworthiness anymore. Before you even try to hear from God, you have to know this, that God is not here to punish you. He has already borne the punishment. It's not that what you did was not that bad. It's bad. How much more the sacrifice of Jesus for us. I cannot even fathom it. I cannot, it wrecks me when I just think about it. This is no cheap grace. This is not a cheap thing. But because of that, God can sometimes give to you when you seek Him, always. A whisper, a wink from heaven, a tremor of bliss. And that is the joy. That is the deposit of what God has for us. Amen? So after God gave me to that, gave me that word in the in the restroom, I realized that over here in America you don't say the Lord gave me that word in the toilet because 
it means something different here. After he gave it to me, from between July and September, I, in my own weakness, had to go to him every morning for him to give me something of that solid joy. I needed a new word every day, and I would wait upon him until it happened. I had every reason to believe that things wouldn't work out well, but not because of my own optimism, not because of past strength built up, but because I needed a word for now. I needed God to give me the deposit of that reality. Every morning, God would speak to me. And then one day, I woke up and I asked Cindy, you know, I've been getting this word about trusting him, trusting him. Well, today I've been getting, these past few days I've been getting word, worry about, words about sleeping. Just don't worry about it, just sleep. That's a whole different level. When you're anxious, the Lord says, you know, he gives your beloved sleep. My, my soul will rest in hope. You know, have you got words like that? I got that. And I realized that a word like that it's very difficult because my way of coping with problems has always been to wake up really early, pray, pray through until the light comes shines through. What God was saying to me after several months was, go to sleep. Just sleep. Just rest. And this sounds a very relaxing and many, many kind of a, it's a kind of a, almost like a nothing word. It's like, no worries about it was very difficult for me because of the fact that I thrive, I cope with anxiety by praying, by praying uh, relentlessly until the assurance comes to me. And that's got me through many, many things, many, many difficulties, difficulties through blindness, through accidents, through all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of crises. The Lord was saying, in this crisis, just sleep. You see, what is happening is that during that whole period, I'd wake up early in the morning. And in the morning, I would wake up with a new anxiety, a new anxiety during that time. And what I would do is this. I'd go down. I would pray. I would go down early in the morning, and I would pray. And I felt the Lord was giving me these two words, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 16. and um, 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 Actually, there were three, three words that basically were saying, just rest, relax. Don't, in fact, don't wake up early. Um, it, is, it is futile for you to stay up late, wake up early. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't relax that much because I know how God has worked in my life. I knew how God worked in my life and I knew that's the only way I, I, I could feel that. And the Lord was saying, I want you to, don't, to not use that muscle for now. I want you to use the muscle of trust. And so I forced myself not to wake up. And it was in this place that I knew that there was something of rest that I did not have. I just did not have in my soul. In fact, the Lord convicted me that to some extent, not completely, but to some extent, I rested in the power of prayer rather than in God. 
And so what God is saying, I want you to know that I am trustworthy. Not prayer, not religion, not, all your, not your spirituality, not your righteousness, not your faith, not your praying in the spirit, not doing all that kind of stuff, not your intercession. All that. No, I am. And I realized that what God was saying is this, it's between you and me now. You have to know me. You must have to know me better than you know any kind of spiritual technique or any spiritual practice or any kind of holy thing that you've been reading about and you've been practicing all this while. You've got to know that I am completely reliable. And for the next few days, I could not help waking up later. I just couldn't. It's like my automatic waking up early just stopped. And I realized that joy is something that actually increases as we actually receive from God. So I just want to um, finish off soon. There are some people who block the joy of the Lord from coming by being just rah-rah about, optim- of, of, about, about their abilities. Rah-rah about optimistic and very kind of, like, we can do it, we can just, just rugged kind of, kind of optimism. That is not the joy of the Lord. That is not the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is objective. It's from someone else. It's not from you. It's not what you can generate in yourself. No matter how much you try to kind of create an atmosphere of rah-rah, uh, kind of can-do, that is not the, what we are talking about. There are some, as we said, kind of negativity. Then there's this last category of people who just are frozen. They can't move back. They can't withdraw into their little capsule. They can't move forward. But they're just frozen. And you just feel, I dare not do anything. I just can't do anything. And if you are in that place, I want to put it to you that actually what God has is exactly what you need. And that is in this place, you're paralyzed. The Bible says the mountains will melt like wax for the presence of the Lord. Invite His presence. Invite His presence to your life. Invite Him to say, Lord, I understand my own perturbations, my own negativity, my own times in which I'm gripped by this discouragement or by fear. And I ask you that you now come. Come into my situation. I can't move and I will not move unless you tell me. It's okay. It's okay to be paralyzed. It's okay to not know and not be a, not be a person who knows what to do. Some people say it's better to do something wrong than to do nothing. I don't agree with that. Sometimes it's important for us to just wait and take the time to receive the Lord and to trust Him. And then dismantle tactics that we use to protect ourselves but not receive the joy of the Lord. Amen. I found that the sign of, of um, the Lord's um, coming or coming is joy. And every Sunday I go through this except when other, other people are preaching. And Siddhi knows this. On Sunday morning, I am completely dependent, helpless before God. 
But I know that at some point, a little bit of joy will come. And that becomes to me the indication that he has given me a word. And everything begins to change. When a person has a joyful singing, he or she acts, acts in a different way. And I think that's important for us. As we get ready for uh, the next Sunday, I wonder whether this would be helpful for you. It says, as cross that thin line between desolation and joyful singing, when we come cross into joyful singing, there is something that breaks in us. There's something of our own self-consciousness, our own co high control over our own life and our own words and all that. What God wants to do is to free us up. When we receive His freedom, we receive His word, and we pray, what happens is that God begins to cause us to be unselfconscious. Unselfconscious. And I wonder whether this week we can be unselfconscious. Unselfconscious about inviting people to give them a chance to hear the Lord, their children hear, perhaps hear the Lord. Um, I'm glad I'm married to Cindy because Cindy is very much the opposite of me. I like to keep to myself when, we go on the, and I, when I go on a plane. If there's somebody who's sitting next to me, I uh, try to keep to myself. Cindy is different. She will talk and she will have shared the gospel or something with that person uh, and will have their address and their phone number and their email address and all that and they'll be communicating after that. It's, it's difficult for me <laughs> because sometimes she's going to say, come on, Michael, go. So we took a walk in our, in our neighborhood one evening and on the way home, um, someone came out of their front yard and her mother was dying. Her mother was dying. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. And we know them. And uh, immediately, Cindy said, can we pray for her? So what Cindy was doing was to obtrude us into their family business at, a more, at, at never a more intense moment as when the mother was dying and said, we can pray for her. And I walked a little bit ahead so that I could somehow have some space. And immediately, thank God, the Lord told me, this is a wonderful opportunity. So we went to go and pray for her, for, for her that night. And as we prayed for her, um, her daughter said to us, she's just hanging on. She can't let go. She just can't let go. And it's been weeks suffering, but she can't let go. We prayed for her, and the Lord enabled us to just release the grace of God, and we said that you can go now. The Lord is waiting for you. Immediately the mother, well, not immediately, but very soon the mother just passed away peacefully and was in heaven. A few weeks later, um, her daughter came to us and says, oh, I'm so, so thank you so much for praying for for my mom. She just could not let go. She was, it was suffering for all of us just to have that. But there's something about an unselfconsciousness, a certain freedom that God wants to put in us. He says, cry out, shout aloud. It look, must look really messy. What has happening is that 
God is saying, get out of your capsule, the capsule of your own compressed self, your, com- your, your, your kind of reduced self that, that, that wants to keep everything in control. Get out of that. You will not be fruitful unless you can move out of that dimension in which you are under tight control of everything to that, just outside that capsule in which you are free. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Welcome to your presence here. Come, Holy Spirit. You are all around us. We thank you, Lord. You are nearest to nearer to us than we are to even ourselves. And we want to make a decision just to accept your word that you are coming to us in all our barrenness, in all our tears, in all our fears, and all our sorrows, in all our perplexity, you are coming. And it is your coming that will make all the difference. So we welcome you. We welcome your presence right now. And Lord, we rejoice before you. We receive you by faith. We will not put our barriers to you. We will not be put to shame, but we will rely upon you. Thank you, Lord. Wherever you are, just go ahead and just feel free to talk to God. Something more real than our experience, our lived experiences is about to take place. Something more real than what reality it is that we dwell in, our feelings, our thoughts, is about to take place. And some of us, as we open our hearts to the Lord, are receiving an inkling that God is giving you grace to be able to say, yeah, 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 actually, yeah. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to make, make a space for it. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to talk down your goodness or my prospect. Lord, we welcome you to use us this week as we come in contact with your our friends, our loved ones, and use us, Lord, as we get ready for Christmas on the 19th. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.